Hello and welcome to episode number 43 of the Beta Bay Podcast. I'm your host, Seb Fry, and for this episode of the podcast, I'm very pleased to have Corey Ibarra as my guest. Corey is the executive director of Building for Generations, which is a local nonprofit here in Santa Cruz. You know, Santa Cruz is uh, kind of famous for nonprofits. There sure are a lot of them around. And um, I say it's because people in Santa Cruz care. Maybe you call us snowflakes or bleeding heart liberals, but. Actually, I think it's a lot of people who care about our community. They care about the planet. They care about the environment. There's so many things which people care about and they want to help. And that is how Corey got her start uh, with Building for Generations. She saw a need and she stepped up to fill the need. You know, uh, Building for Generations, they're all about um, uh, supporting education projects uh, with a focus on persons with special needs and their families. Um, they build facilities, provide materials, they raise awareness, and they educate and develop sustainable programs. Um, it's really inspiring talking to Corey. She has a very unique story, but I'm going to let her tell it. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and listen to what Corey Ibarra has to say. All right, Corey, hey, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I'm all right. You know, not too bad. Uh, thank you so much for making the time to uh, jump on the line here with me and join the Beta Bay podcast. Thank you for having me. Right on. Hey, so uh, as you know, I like to start off my uh, podcasts with um, having the guest tell me a little bit, um, you know, like a story, you know, uh, something that sort of like helps us get a feeling for who you are and what you're about. Do you have like a story you can share with us? I have a couple stories. I've been thinking about which one uh, to share, but I think I'll share one from 2012. I had a dream, and the reason I'm sharing this is for all you who have dreams out there. I had a dream about bringing a young man to Santa Cruz as a speaker. His name was Emmanuel Ofusu Yeboah, and he was a young man who was born in Ghana, he was born with one leg only developed to the knee. And he wrote to an organization here in the United States called Challenged Athletes. He asked them to send him a bicycle. And with his one good leg and no prosthesis, he rode the entire length of Ghana. And he brought attention to people with disabilities and was so inspiring that Oprah Winfrey narrated his story and made a movie out of it called Emmanuel's Gift. And I had a dream about bringing Emmanuel to Santa Cruz as a speaker. And in 2012, I was able to do that. The reason I wanted to tell this story is because it was a dream and it was a dream I was able to make come true. Wow, that is cool. Um, yeah, I'll have to go and watch that movie. I just uh, brought it up here and uh Looks pretty good. It's on IMDb and uh, Amazon and, and everything. Wow, awesome. So that was in uh, 2012 you brought him here, or what year did he actually come to town? Yes, yes it was in, t in 2012, March so 2012. When he came to town, did he did he give a, a talk, or do you have a, a, an event he, for him? He or? did. We showed the movie at a venue here in Santa Cruz, and we had a full house, and um, – we had a reception afterwards, and after the movie, he spoke, and then he was, you know, we had a meet and greet at the reception, so a lot of people got to meet him, and many of the people that came had seen the movie before and just came specifically because they wanted to meet him. Wow. 
Cool. Well, I must be an inspiring person. Do you know what he's doing now? Um, is he here in the States or is he back in Ghana? Where is he at? Well, actually, I got a phone call from him a couple weeks ago. I hadn't heard from him. He is living in San Diego. He's uh, part of the Paralympic team with the U.S. team, and he's looking at moving his family here uh, next, sometime next year. To Santa Cruz? From, yeah. No, to San Diego. Oh, to San Diego. Okay, right on. Well, San Diego is cool, too. Um, well, yeah. that's awesome. That's amazing. Oh, wow. That's, uh, I, I should look him up on Twitter and, and give him a follow. He sounds like a pretty inspirational uh, character, that's for sure. Oh, he's so, very inspirational, and he changed the face of Ghana for people with disabilities. So he's been a very important figure in Ghana. Um, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of info on him. If you Google him, uh, he's everywhere. So um, so just Google that Emmanuel's gift and uh, check that out. It's very cool. So you were able to bring him here. How how were you able to do that? Did you call Oprah or <laughs> how did you how'd you get a hold of him? You know, he had a manager. Yeah, I actually can't remember how I found out about his manager, but he had a manager that would book events for him here in the okay. United States. And I got a hold of that person. Okay. And, right. yeah, by that time I felt like I had developed the capacity to generate enough money to bring him here, to get the venue, to do all the marketing. I went for it. Right on. That That is very cool. So, Corey, tell me, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in San Jose when San, San Jose. Jose was orchards. Right. I've heard of San Jose. <laughs> So yeah. what, was your child, what was your childhood like? Were you just like running through the orchards like barefoot and uh, and all that? Or, or what was your childhood uh, like? Uh, San Jose was really fun then um, as far. Yeah, I remember the neighbors across the street from where I lived. I lived in an Irish and Italian neighborhood, and a lot of the Italians owned orchards. And I remember going with my friends to their grandparents' house and playing in the orchards, and it was completely different than it is today. Right. My high school over there is now a shopping center. <laughs> where uh, where did you grow up? What part of San Jose did you uh, grow up in? I grew up uh, close in between Park and San Fernando and uh, sort of in the Alameda area. Right, so kind of like right downtown, right in the heart of town pretty much. A little bit of ways. Um, the Alameda near, well, a little bit further away from downtown. But right, yeah. yeah. Not actually downtown, but it's uh, not, not far off. Not far right. off from downtown. All right, very cool. Mm -hmm. So you're, uh, you're, nor uh, you're basically a local person, right? I mean, San Jose is pretty local to Santa Cruz, right? And, and right, but I do want to say something about my father was born in Santa Cruz. He was older when, he, when I was born. So he was born in Santa Cruz in 1902, and my grandparents were also Santa Cruz residents. Okay, so you have long ties to Santa Cruz. Yeah. Okay. And now I understand you're you're also a, a mom with a special needs son? I am. My son is now 41 years old, and his name is Joaquin. Wow, 41 years old. So uh, that would mean he was born like in what, uh, 78, I guess? He was born May 1st, 1978. So yeah, I always liken the 70s to basically like the Stone Age. I can't believe that any of us survived that time period. I was born in 71. 
um, you know, just, <laughs> it seems like, a, uh, you know, like forever ago, you know, I, I imagine it must have been really challenging. I think even today it must be very challenging to raise um, a child with special needs. Can you talk about that at all? What was that like? Uh, it, during that time, that was, you know, children were beginning to be mainstream during that time, but the Americans with Disabilities Act hadn't been passed. Uh, if you had a child with a developmental disability, unless it was very minimal, um, our children were not um, allowed in recreation programs, after-school recreation. And I remember when I moved to Santa Cruz, going there was a child care development. Um, there was an agency that had uh, phone numbers for child care workers in the county, and there was not one person that would take a child with special needs to the degree that my son was involved. My son has Down syndrome. He falls into the moderate range as far as abilities. Um, he does need full-time supervision, but um, great personality and very active. Yet at that time in the 70s, there was nothing available for our children as far as recreation or child care. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, he, he, I mean all kids require a lot of care. Right, especially when they're really young like that, but it must have been really difficult. I mean, I, he was born in '78, so even in the early '80s, there just not, there probably weren't a lot of services or you know help for 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 kids like that. Right, and I moved to Santa Cruz when he was he was seven, almost turning eight. It was a little bit. I I was uprooting myself a little bit from my friends and family. And um, so I didn't have their help either. So, yeah, it was quite challenging until I was able to make some friends here, which took quite a while, and, and get established here in Santa Cruz. So what year was that that you came to live in Santa Cruz? So 78, 80, it would be 1985. 1985, so he's like seven years old, and you just uh, decided to move over the hill to Santa Cruz? So did you have a lot of, I mean, you said your your parents were from here. So did you have other family here or was it just clean break? I had a cousin here. Okay. And I, I ended up, I moved in with my cousin, but I okay. didn't know anybody here. Right. That was basically it. Right. Okay. I hear you there. Um, so did you come and do, did you study here? Did you mean did you come to go to school here at UC Santa Cruz or, or was there any other motivation that, that made you move over the hill? Or uh, The motivation for moving over the hill was that um, my son's father passed on, but um, I had remarried and then divorced. And so after my divorce, I started coming over the hill and staying with my cousin, and I just found it so soothing to be in Santa Cruz, to be by the beach. Um, you know, it's a completely different atmosphere than San Jose, and I just decided I wanted to move to a smaller town. Right. I hear you. Okay. Well, I think that's why a lot of people uh, end up moving here, right? Uh, you know, a little bit uh you know cooler nicer beaches and uh, a little bit of a slower uh pace i guess although these days it doesn't feel like it's any slower <laughs> over here uh so did you end up going to college i did and um actually i i went to college after i had my son uh when i got out of high school i just i didn't go to college 
Um, I decided I wanted to go to college when my son was maybe a year or two old. And so I did it very slowly. And the reason I decided, I, I didn't really have any direction until I had my son. And then when I took him to see an occupational therapist, I found myself fascinated with <clears throat> a, a type of occupational therapy um, called sensory integration that worked with children with disabilities. So I wanted to be an occupational therapist. Um, I started going to San Jose City College and just taking a couple classes at a time. And then interestingly, I could not get into that program because it demanded that you do a 40-hour internship in the summer. And there was no way I could, I was going to get childcare for 40 hours a week in the summer for my son, so I changed my major to health science. And uh, and when I moved to Santa Cruz, ended up commuting over the hill to go to San Jose State. Right, okay, all right, very good. So um, what was your early professional life like? So after you finished your, your schooling, what, what, what kind of work did you do? Well, um, during my schooling, I worked um, for a, um, place called Start Clinic here in Santa Cruz, and it was sports therapy and rehabilitation. And so I was an exercise instructor there. And then uh, when I finished my degree in health science, which is, it's a very broad degree. Um, part of it is physical health and fitness. Part of it is um, mental health. And the other part is community organizing, doing how to do a needs assessment, etc. Um, when I finished my degree, I was already working in the physical fitness and health field. And so, you know, I decided to just get my certification as a personal trainer, and I did that for 12 years. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. Which was... You know, which was great because it demanded that I be really creative about work. So I built a little studio in my garage, and I used to be able to see people out of my home, which helped solve my child care problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So you were a physical trainer, PT. No, I was, uh, yeah, personal trainer. Oh, per personal trainer. Sorry, personal trainer. So that yeah. means like, uh, like, um, so normally, like a uh, uh, physical trainer would be like, um, you know, like if you're rehabbing, right? And then a uh, personal trainer, that's basically just like, hey, I want to come in and learn how to exercise and be in good shape. Is that what a personal trainer is? Right. Okay. Yeah. And you did that. You did that for 12 years out of out of your house. I did it out of my house. I also worked out of World Gym and I worked out of. Um, start clinic because many people knew me and I had experience with people that had had physical injuries. So right. okay. uh, a lot of people felt comfortable working with me. Okay. And so you said that provided like a really good way to take care of your child's care uh, issue because you were basically able to, um, you know, uh, stay at home, right, with uh, with your son now, you know, a lot of times people think about all the, you know, the, you know, the difficulty of, of raising a special needs kid, but are there any particular joys that, that go along with, with having like a special needs kid? I mean, it must be, you know, like everything, there's, you know, pluses and cons to everything. 
I would have to say that I have found our adult relationship to be the most special to me. Um, it was really challenging going through his childhood and and hard on him too, very hard on him, uh, getting through school. Um, as an adult, I can think of one story right now. Um, I was walking out of my house one day. My son is in an adult living situation now, but he comes and stays with me on the weekend. And I was walking out of the house one day with him, and my neighbor was coming out of her house, and she saw my son put his arms around me and kiss me. And I looked over at her, and she had tears in her eyes. And she had an adult son, and she said, I wish my son would do that for me. Oh. And it's the affection, the caring. Um, yeah, I just feel very fortunate to be loved by him. Yeah, and you still have that. I mean, you still have that. I mean, like, I think a lot of a lot of kids are are in their forties or whatever, right? They they never see their parents at all. So you and you and your son are still pretty tight. We're really close. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's invaluable, right? I mean, like that's just you know, was that worth anybody? You know, that's why. I mean, my my kids are seven and ten, you know, and I really, really hope that you know I have a close relationship with them, you know, for the rest of my life. And um, you see so many people who don't who don't have that with their kids, you know, their kids basically are like, you know, see ya once they once they leave, you know. Yeah, it's that's what's really special. There's never been a time that my son hasn't wanted to see me. He lo he swims at Cabrillo. He's in a swim class, although he's a great swimmer. He always wants me to come and watch him swim. It's like, you know, we're really, really close in our adult oh. relationship. Oh, that is great. That That's great. That's that's that's, a, that's the most... Uh, inspiring thing I've heard maybe, you know, in a while. I'm kind of tearing up here a little bit myself here. So, um, well, listen, tell me about your, your current project, um, building, building for Generations. What, what, what is Building for Generations? Um, building for Generations is a nonprofit, and we're a small nonprofit, but we've done some pretty big major projects. Building for Generations was started after I had a health crisis about, let's see, Building for Generations, the organization will be 15 years old next year. So it was about 17 years ago. And uh, after my health crisis, I made a decision to that I was going to do the things that I had put off and always wanted to do. One of those things was that I had always wanted to volunteer in another country. So I started looking at organizations and I went with an organization called Cross-Cultural Solutions and I signed up to go to Africa for three weeks as a volunteer. When I got there, the woman that picked me up at the airport her name was Grace Limo. Um, she was a native Tanzanian. That's where uh, we started talking in the van, and she told me she had a son with autism. 
And I told her I had a son with Down syndrome, and that's how it all started. She took me to a small classroom in in Arusha, Tanzania. It was the only classroom for children with special needs in a town of over a million people. These children did not go to school. And the reason there was this one classroom was because Grace, the mother of this young boy with autism, had gone to the government and secured a classroom. She told me that they also had gotten the government to give them a piece of land on that school site that they could build a unit on, but they had had the land for three years and not been able to raise the money. So basically, Grace and I became friends during this trip. (laughs) They asked me, the parents and teachers asked me to help them when I when I was leaving and I did not you know they had the land they had the teacher um, but I certainly didn't feel qualified at all to help I just told them I would do what I could I was actually pretty shocked that they asked me to help and uh, I came back to the United States with the intention of raising a little money sending it to them, and trying to contact other organizations that might be interested in building this project. And I didn't have any takers. But after several months, and right about when I was ready to give up, I got an email from a group in Uganda, which borders Tanzania, and it was from a woman who ran an organization called Soft Power Education, and they built schools in Uganda. And she told me if I would raise the money, she would send an overseer to put this project together. And that's how we started. Wow, that's that's very cool. So just really just sort of, I don't want to say fell into your lap, but you didn't have any grand design. You basically just saw a need and stepped up. I did, and then, you know, I have to say, I've just been following the breadcrumbs all all along the way. Um, yeah, things have just occurred. You know, the next step would unfold, and that's kind of how Building for Generations took shape. Okay, and where did you get that name, Building for Generations? That's really interesting, because after we built the first part of the unit, I went back to Tanzania to see it. And I wanted to meet these people in Uganda that had helped me. So I flew into Uganda first. And it was during that time that I was starting to do my nonprofit paperwork, which, um, which, by the way, you can do yourself if anyone's interested in listening. Um, there's a book that will tell you how to do it by Nolo Press. And so anyways, I'm in Uganda, and I can't think of our name. What's our name? And I had to have a name for the paperwork, but nothing was resonating with me. 
And so we were riding around in a truck, and all of a sudden on this little kind of shanty-looking building, I see Building for Generations. And the minute I saw it, I went, that's my name. And I asked someone, what is this Building for Generations? And they said, well, they sell cement. And I went, way too good a name for someone that sells cement. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. So you have this project that um, is ongoing in um, Tanzania. And is this like like an ongoing project of Building for Generations? Like, are you continuing to build there or do you operate a program or? You know, what we did, you know, fortunately, I had wanted to make these projects sustainable. When I started, I thought I would just do the one project. But since we've gone on to do a couple others. Um, But the building projects and the ones in other countries, we wanted them to be self-sustaining. So they are. We've partnered with the government. The government pays the salaries of the teachers in the case of our other project, the therapists. And um, now what we do is enhance the programs. We, you know, help them with materials, um, you know, buy them a copy machine. Um, they're starting to do some work uh, teaching the kids um, how to make, you know, some artisan crafts, so we're helping with materials there. Uh, The mother that I was partnered with there, Grace Limo, she's gone on to start her own nonprofit and is opening up a skills center there for the graduating students from our unit. Uh, We're helping her with some financial assistance to buy equipment and things like that. So basically now what we do is enhance the program but should we not be available they would those programs would still go on and the the good news about Tanzania is that since we built that first unit in in Arusha the government has stepped up and built four more oh good and and Grace Limo um, has gone on to form her own nonprofit she was a public health nurse and educator. So now one of the things she also does is she's educating the public there about disabilities because previously they've they've considered it to be a curse and the children didn't go to school, the families were ostracized. In rural areas, it was not unusual to take a child that was born and the disability was visible to take them into the bush and leave them to die. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, there's been quite a, quite a bit of change in the 15 years. Grace sent me photos, oh, I guess maybe two weeks ago where she was, the speaker and educator to a group of 400 young students and she was teaching about different disabilities so you know it's it's a slow movement but it's moving there wow well that, that is cool and you also uh, i believe have a project in peru is that right 
I do. Uh, I believe it was 2007 or 8 that there was an 8.0 earthquake that lasted three minutes in Peru. About 10 months after that, I visited that area where the earthquake had hit, and I went with a friend of mine who was Peruvian, and we went to Chincha Baja, and we met with the social worker there and the mayor, and then they gave us a list of families. Chincha Baja is a relatively small rural area along the coast. They gave us a list of families, and we started going and meeting these families and interviewing them and trying to find out what they needed in that area. And they were traveling as far as Lima for um, therapy for their children that had neurological problems. There was already a school in the area. So what we did was build a small center that acts as a place where they can go and receive um, physical therapy and speech therapy and also it's it's sort of a resource center also they have workshops there the families gather there uh, at Christmas and during holidays and you know to get together and celebrate and so it's sort of a combination of a resource center and therapy center Okay, so uh, now that's already been built out. So you, so the project is you, you, you do the same thing like you did in uh, do in Tanzania, which is you provide them ongoing like material on financial aid. Is that is that the scope again? Of it again, it's we we did that project so that it would be sustaining, and so uh, the the local government gave us the land. Um, we built the project, and the mayor there agreed to pay the salaries of the therapist and um, speech therapist and physical therapist. Oh, wow. So, That's great. Uh, yeah. So, again, if we weren't available, the project would go on. But we do enhance that project now. So like um, two months ago, they needed a roof, a new roof on the um, building, so we, you know, paid to have that work done. Okay, all right. So, what what are some of the challenges you found, like running a nonprofit like this? It, I mean, I mean, I I helped out with the Museum of Discovery here in, in Santa Cruz, right? And you know, I saw sort of firsthand, like you know, the challenges of a nonprofit. What what's it been like for you? What what do you find the most difficult part of running Building for Generations? Uh, it's always the fundraising. That's it. And that, that was our big challenge, yeah. too, coincidentally enough, <laughs> is fundraising. <laughs> it's always the fundraising. Yeah. Um, so how, so how, how, you know, how have you been able to raise funds? Where, what, what works for you guys to raise funds? Is there anything that's – is there like a silver bullet? <laughs> that, uh, uh, no, there about? isn't. <laughs> There isn't, but you know what? One one-on-one -on -one contact is the most important. You know, I find that even though we we do have someone, uh, one of our board members that really knows social media and gets on, and but what really helps the most, what really brings in donors, what the tips that we get about foundations, it's always our one-on-one -on -one contact. 
and uh, knowing someone personally that, you know, knows someone with a foundation. Or, yeah, I found that to be the most effective. Right. So, it's always one on one people that you have an actual connection with. Right. Yeah. And maybe right. they have a connection with somebody. That, and maybe they have a know. connection with somebody. And that's what we found at the museum, too, is that, you know, like you can get a little bit of money from a lot of people, but most of the money comes in from, you know, uh, people who donate larger amounts who, you know, are connected somehow to the organization and they, they get it. You know, they want to support it. So how about um, having volunteers to uh, to help uh, on the board with your projects? Uh, is that also difficult to do or is that easy? You know, again, that was word of mouth. Um, you know, people, are, when I started, it was just me. Um, but, you know, slowly, you know, someone told somebody else and they were interested. And, oh, and I showed the movie Emmanuel's Gift several times here and people that I knew came and brought a friend and then their friend got interested and you know that's how it how we got our volunteers and now I'm finding um you know I'm I've this last year I've made a few more connections with adult parents you know, I was, when my son was younger, I was involved in parent groups, but, you know, as your child gets older and goes into adulthood, you're not so much, but um, I'm getting more connected to adult parents this last year, and they've been great supporters. Right, right, okay. Uh, and then how about, like, these projects in Tanzania and Peru? Those are all paid positions, or do people volunteer there, too? Um, the people that are working at those projects, they are paid, they're, you know, they're pe Peruvians in Peru and Tanzanians in Tanzania, and they're paid by their local governments. You know, if you want a project to be sustainable and it's international, you've got to partner with the local government to make sure that it'll go on. Right, right. That's that's critical. Yeah. Partnering, right? I mean, partnering with anybody. I think that you know a lot of organizations they try to go it alone, right? But there's so there's so many you know people who are looking to partner, right? And, and I think just being open yeah. to to that possibility uh, will help uh, a lot with that heavy lift of uh, of getting a project like that um, together. So what what so are there any other uh, fundraisers that you do um, besides just your personal connections? I mean, I know you do the um, uh, the human race, right, in Santa Cruz. Right. That's you know, um, Deb, I'd like to talk a little bit about our Santa Cruz project. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, you also have a project here in Santa Cruz. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, because I, I partner with a parent on that one. Um, for the last eight years, um, I we have partnered with music together here in Santa Cruz. Uh, the director of music together is Liz Hodgen. She is also the parent of a young adult with Down syndrome. And she's been the regional director actually for Santa Clara County and, Sa and Santa Cruz for well, over 15 years. Music Together is a research-based um, program early learning program for young children. 
and it's in 40 countries and 24,000 communities. It's um, so Liz, because of her experience, you know, of course, she can adapt it if it needs adapting to our students. But um, we have had testimonials from parents and teachers about this program and what it's done for their students, you know. Um, for example, a child that stutters can sing and not stutter. Um, memories enhanced. A child that couldn't spell their name because it was too long, if you put it to musical notes, they can spell their name. Um, children that weren't speaking start to make pre-speech sounds with the program. So we've gotten a lot of great feedback. I'm currently looking at possibilities for grants for this fall. We've kept it funded for eight years. This is our one program that demands consistent funding. It's not self-sustaining. Um, I would like the schools to get involved with us since we come into the classrooms. It would be great if we could get some school funding for it. Um, but yeah, we do have a local program. This is our one and only program that is not self-sustaining. We don't have the schools partnering with us yet. You know, we're hoping that that might be something in the future to keep it going. And right. it's in need of funding right now. So is there a, is there a web page or how would people go to learn about that program? Uh, if you go to our website, it shows uh, there's a, at the top of the page, it says projects and you can look at each one of the projects and there's <clears throat> information about it. And you can also donate on our webpage. And so this so, is uh, buildingforgenerations.com? Yes. Okay, and then uh, projects at the top, and then it says uh, music program Santa Cruz. All right, that's very cool. All right, yeah, I'll go uh, check that out. Um, okay, so um, now if people wanted to like like join with you at Building for Generations, uh, is there like do you need volunteers for like the board or or with this uh, the music program or what's what's your need locally for help? Yes, um, we do. We'd like to, um, you know, get some more people on our board, some new blood on our board. We just talked about that at our last meeting. Um, so they would contact me through the website. It's Corey at buildingforgenerations.com, and Corey spelled C-O-R-Y. Um, but, you know, there is a link to contact us on the website. Okay. All right. Very cool. Now, um, we've got to wrap things up here, but uh, let me ask you this. Is there any question that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? You know, it was the last question. Um, if, I, if I had any advice, any parting words of advice, I think. Yeah. Okay. Anybody, any parting words of advice? Yeah, um, I have younger people come to me and, and uh, you know, they want to do, uh, do a project or do something um, big, but, you know, perhaps they have ch young children or their life isn't set up in a way to do that yet. 
And my advice is to hang on to your dream, but to understand that everything that's going on in your life right now is part of your training for the future to do something like this. Um, that opportunity will come up. Um, when when I started building for generations, it was like all my past experience came together to make this happen. And I had no idea that's the way it would work. But, yeah, being a parent, um, you know, persevering, your character's being built, you know, you, you're learning whether you realize it or not. All right. Very cool. Hey, well, Corey, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on the Beta Bay podcast. I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy and you have a lot going on. Um, so uh, the website is buildingforgenerations.com, and all your contact info is there, phone number, email address, and and all that good stuff is just right there on the website. Yes. All right. Very good. Okay. Well, Corey, thank you so much. And um, I look forward to uh, seeing uh, what else Building for Generations is going to uh, create here in the uh, months and years ahead. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, having me on your podcast. All right. I appreciate it. Okay. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Corey. All right. That wraps up episode number 43 of the Beta Bay podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Corey. And what I took away from it is really how much she cares about the work that she does. And I think this is so uh, common with people who do these nonprofits. You know, most people who start nonprofits, they're not looking for a job. They're not looking to get rich. They're not looking to get famous. They step up. They see a need. They see something that could be a lot better, and they dedicate their their time, their money, their energy, uh, their lives in many cases to to fulfilling this need which they see. And uh, I just think it's so amazing that people who do this kind of work uh, in our community and really around the world. So, uh, Corey, I really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all the great work that you and the folks at Building for Generations are doing. All right, uh, before I wrap this up, uh, as always, I want you to remember that the Beta Bay podcast is of course sponsored by thesoldbook.com. That's right. Go to thesoldbook.com to download your free copy of my book, Get It Sold. It's all about how to sell your home quickly, easily, and for the very highest price possible with the least amount of hassle and risk. And by the way, you can have a good time doing it too, right? That sounds good, right? So just go to thesoldbook.com to order your free copy of my book, Today, you know that book does sell for 13 bucks on Amazon.com. You can go right now and order it uh, direct from Amazon, but you can get it from thesoldbook.com for free, free, free. And check it out. If you use the coupon code free ship at checkout, that's F R E E S H I P. We'll even ship it to you for free. Oh, that's a pretty good deal. All right. Hey, do me a favor. Would you uh, give us a a five-star review on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever it is that you uh, discovered uh, the Beta Day podcast? I would really appreciate it. And, of course, please share this episode with anybody who you know who is uh, thinking about getting into the nonprofit world or maybe uh, would like to uh, partner up with Corey and, and help her with her good work. That would be totally awesome. All right, that's it for this episode of the Beta Bay Podcast, and I will have another episode up for you before too long.